The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC, and here is your top five at five. We begin with stocks facing renewed selling over fresh macro uncertainty with tech stocks building on their recent retreat. Futures pointing to another tough trading day ahead. And investors bracing for that latest read on inflation, expected to show prices surging by levels not seen in more than 40 years. We preview what to expect out of that number. Also on the rise, mortgage rates, showing no signs of slowing down. Back to levels not seen since the financial crisis. And the State Department ordering some staff members in Shanghai to get out as authorities there start to ease ongoing lockdowns. Despite climate, COVID case figures, we are live on the ground with the very latest. And Etsy facing a seller strike, kicking off what's expected to be a really high-profile battle over the direction of that e-commerce darling. It is Tuesday, April the 12th. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And good morning to you. I am Frank Holland in for Brian Sullivan. Let's kick off the hour with a check on the markets and your money right now. Taking a look at stock futures, they've been moving around a little bit this morning. We can see kind of a mixed picture. The Nasdaq slightly higher. The S&P and the Dow Jones in the red a bit. At this point in the morning, the Dow looks like it could open up maybe about 30 points lower, but it's still early. Stocks kicking off the new trading week in the red. On Monday, the Dow and the S&P falling 1.2 and 1.7 percent, respectively. Rising bond yields once again hammering tech with the Nasdaq down more than 2 percent. Investors are gearing up for that March CPI report, expected to show the biggest spike since December of 1981. Economists forecasting a monthly jump of more than 1 percent and a year-over-year gain of nearly 8.5 percent, driven largely by higher food, energy, and rent costs. You know, the stuff all of us need. Ahead, we're also going to get a report on the bond market. And right now, we're looking at the 10-year yield. Right now, just ticking right above 2.8. Uh, you got to keep in mind, the 10-year yields, those have increased by about 80 basis points over the last month. The 5-year and the 30-year also ticking a bit higher. We're also getting a look at the price of oil rebounding after falling to the lowest level since February on those China lockdown fears. WTI right now just under $100 a barrel. Brent crude just over $100 a barrel. We'll continue to watch the oil market today. And, of course, crypto. Bitcoin falling below 40000 for the first time since mid-March on Monday. Right now, it is just above 40000 We're looking at it right here, just barely above 30000 uh, excuse me, 40000 ticking a little bit higher today. We're going to keep our eye on crypto. Bitcoin in particular down 12% on the year. Always kind of thought of an inflation hedge. We have an analyst coming up that says crypto and Bitcoin especially could be uh, poised for a seasonal bounce. Let's go worldwide right now. A mixed session in Asia overnight. Japan's Nikkei leading losses down nearly 2%. China's Shanghai index bouncing back after Monday's session, climbing 1.5%. And Europe seeing losses in early trading. Our Rosanna Lockwood is in our London newsroom with a lot more. Good morning, Rosanna. 
Yeah, good morning. And you're right there. We've certainly had a pretty negative morning here in Europe. All the major bourses in the red. The FTSE 100 here in London, it's heavily energy exposed, minor exposed. So it is being propped up slightly by spiking commodity prices down only, if we can say that, four tenths of a percent. Meantime, the CAC 40, which did very well after that first round of the French presidential election on Monday, is actually down nine tenths. But it's the DAX in Germany. No big surprises here. I'll tell you why. Down over a percent in the red. Let's get to this story. A major investor in Deutsche Bank and Commerzbank, those two massive German lenders. You can see them selling off heavily here. Commerzbank down eight six tenths. Deutsche Bank down almost ten percent. An investor has reportedly shared a large stake in both of them. The position is said to amount to more than 5% holding in both of these banks. And now CNBC is working to confirm or clarify who that investor might be. Plenty of reporting out there that Capital Group may be one of the people in the running or one of the institutions in the running that had stakes in both of these banks. Unconfirmed at the moment. But we have had statements out of both Deutsche and Commerzbank this morning saying they're very confident in their strategy. Nothing has changed. Essentially saying all is par for the course. Stake sales happen all the time. We're very confident in what we're doing. Back to you. All right, Rosanna, thanks a lot for that. Now to some of your morning's other top stories, including the cost of buying a home becoming more expensive. Bertha Coombs is here now with those details. Good morning, Bertha. Hey, good morning, Frank. You know, after breaking above 5% last week, the rate on a 30-year fixed mortgage has climbed to 5 and a quarter percent. That's the highest level since August of 2009 and around two percentage points higher than a year ago. According to Freddie Mac, mortgage rates have seen the fastest three-month rise since May of 1994. President Biden is reportedly eyeing former Treasury official Michael Barr for the top job at the Federal Reserve overseeing banks. That, according to Politico, Bear has emerged as the frontrunner for Fed vice chair for supervision after Biden's previous pick, Sarah Bloom Raskin, pulled her nomination due to a lack of key support. Barr played a major role in crafting financial safeguards in the wake of the 2008 financial crisis and has been a longtime consumer advocate. And shares of Veru continuing to surge in extended trading after announcing positive results from its phase three trial of its oral COVID treatment. The company saying the drug led to a meaningful reduction in deaths in patients hospitalized with moderate to severe COVID who were at high risk for adult respiratory distress syndrome. Vero says it will meet with the FDA to seek emergency use authorization for the treatment. Note, this is a small cap company, still below a billion dollars in valuation, but it's much bigger than it was before the news yesterday. Stocks soaring more than 180% in yesterday's regular session. So, Frank, there must have been a big short position there or something, 180% surge in one day. Yeah, you, don't, you don't hear about a triple-digit move very often, Bertha. Yeah, thanks a lot for those headlines, right. Bertha. Thank you. All right, now turning our attention to the latest on Ukraine. The U.S. and the U.K. are working to verify unconfirmed reports of Russia using chemical weapons in the besieged port city of Mariupol. A report featuring a message posted by an ultranationalist part of the Ukrainian National Guard said Russian forces used a, quote, poisonous substance of unknown origin. Meanwhile, President Biden is hitting the road today to tout new efforts to minimize the impact of Russia's invasion on American lives. NBC News' Bree Jackson, she joins us now from Washington with much more on the story. Good morning, Bree. 
Good morning, Frank. Well, the U.N. Security Council says about 90 percent of those fleeing Ukraine are women and children, and there are growing concerns that they may become targets of Russia's attacks. Russia ramping up a new offensive in eastern Ukraine. An already devastating situation expected to get worse now that a general nicknamed the Butcher of Syria is in charge. This has already been a brutal campaign in Ukraine and we can expect uh, to see more of it. There are fears of new attacks like the one at this Ukrainian train station that targeted civilians, including children trying to flee the region. Over 90 percent of the 4 million that have already left the country are women and children. And out of the 7 million that are displaced in Ukraine, the vast majority are also women and children. Of women and girls. The UN is investigating reports of violence against women. Women in Ukraine are at increased risk for gender-based violence, including rape, sexual assault, and sexual exploitation. President Zelensky making urgent pleas for more firepower from the West, warning of a dangerous new chapter of war. During a virtual meeting with President Biden, India's prime minister condemned the killing of innocent civilians. The administration urged India not to increase its reliance on Russian gas and oil. They should use that leverage constructively to help bring this conflict to an end. It is undeniable that India has a relationship with Russia uh, that we don't have. Hope for diplomacy and still on the table. To address high gas prices, which the Biden administration blames on Putin's war. Today, President Biden is expected to announce that the administration is suspending a ban on the sale of gasoline blended with 15 percent, uh, 15 percent ethanol. All right, Bree Jackson with the very latest from D.C. Bree, thank you very much. Turning our attention back to the markets now as investors are watching key inflation data that comes out later today. Joining us now is Gina Sanchez, CEO of Chantico Global and a CNBC contributor. Good morning, Gina. Good morning. So you and I chatted a bit yesterday. You said the sanctions on Russia and the impact on the commodity market, that's been one of the major reasons for the downturn in the markets. Obviously, that conflict not easing up anytime soon. And those sanctions, uh, no clarity on when they'll be lifted. You and I agreed on a term, commodity anxiety. That's what the market is dealing with right now. How long do you see that impacting the markets? And is there any relief for that? Yeah, well, I agree. I think uh, commodity anxiety is the root of most uh, trepidation right now in the markets. And I think it could actually last for the rest of the year. There are segments of the commodities markets where, you know, the United States and OPEC can have uh, an impact on oil. We can have impacts on various uh, metals. But there are some metals that we cannot impact where Russia or Ukraine are the, either the number one or the number two producers in the world. So you look, for example, at palladium or platinum, and the forecasts are well above you know, what is currently priced into the futures markets, which are already high. Um, and that's really what's feeding a, a lot of this anxiety. And so you have two pieces. One is that high commodity prices could just take a chunk out of demand and really, really put the, the skids on this recovery that we've been having that's already been slowing down. Um, the second um, is that it could actually create and force uh, high inflation and force the Fed um, to be very aggressive. Neither of those is necessarily a good outcome. Yeah. Neon's another one of those commodities that comes from the region. Um, definitely uh, is sourcing important for not only chips, but production of uh, manufacturing equipment. I want to look ahead for a bit. We have CPI numbers coming up. Last read at 8%. Um, a lot of forecasts that's going to tick up even higher. Is there a number 
that would actually calm the markets and make people feel more comfortable? Can the Fed do something to make us feel better about this inflation? Well, so there's two pieces to that answer, Frank. The first is the current forecast for for CPI for this year is 6.9%. So the bar is actually pretty high um, for us to try to get below that number. But I actually think it could be, uh, it could remain high. Where I really think that all eyes are on the Fed, the Fed is is right now forecast to take a move every single meeting for the rest of the year. Uh, expectations of pushing the short end up to 2.5%. Given where the tenure is right now, I would say that the bond market is positioning itself for that. Um, but just one miss, if, if the Fed were to take one break, um, and you've heard actually commentary out of the Fed saying there is a difference between inflation that is the result of an overheating economy, inflation momentum and wage inflation, and inflation that's driven by commodities prices. And what we don't want to do is we don't want to make the same mistake we made um, in the 70s, which actually drove us into stagflation. You know, uh, before we let you go, Gina, one other question about commodities, oil. Uh, We saw the prices decline a bit on those China lockdowns. They're back up a bit. OPEC warning of tight supply. How do you see oil continuing to impact the markets? You know, the problem with oil is that we went into this year actually in a tight supply market. Um, We had a whole lot of labor shortages, you know, that we're holding over from the pandemic. Uh, And so it wasn't very easy for, for, uh, you know, to to sort of just let let loose the production spigot. Um, And in fact, if we could have done that, I guarantee you OPEC would have. Um, And so where we are in oil right now is very challenging. We can release from the strategic reserve, um, but you know we are not in an oversupplied situation. In fact, we are in a very tight uh, supply situation in the oil markets and actually across the entire commodities complex for the same reasons. Um, and it's one of the reasons that you just continue to see this pressure uh, on oil prices. Yeah, uh, rising oil prices also putting a lot of pressure on Main Street. Uh, Gina Sanchez, we appreciate the insight. Thank you for being here. All right, when we come back here on Worldwide Exchange, ongoing lockdowns in Shanghai now appearing to ease up as some residents, they leave their homes for the first time in weeks. We're going to go live to China for the very latest. Plus, grading Warren Buffett's big bet on HP Inc. New numbers on the state of the PC market and whether or not that investment could actually pay off. Plus, Starbucks workers mounting new momentum in their bid to unionize. With more of the coffee giant stores joining the campaign, a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. And welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Now to China and the ongoing concerns around the COVID outbreak there. 
The U.S. State Department ordering all non-emergency government staff and their family members in Shanghai to leave the country. The State Department also telling U.S. citizens to reconsider travel to China. In Shanghai, some residents, they're leaving their homes for the first time in more than two weeks today. As the city takes initial steps in easing COVID lockdowns, our Eunice Yoon joins us now from Beijing with the very latest. Hard to be hard to even imagine being stuck in the house for two weeks, Eunice. And Frank, a lot of people have been waiting and sitting in their houses for much longer, for several weeks longer. Um, the way that these uh, the easing is actually happening is really, really slowly. They're going street by street, actually building by building. So if your apartment complex, for example, has had no COVID cases for the past 14 days, you can technically leave your home. However, if the building next to you has had any cases. For the, that are more than, than one in the past 14 days, you can't walk outside your door and potentially risk that, according to the local authorities. So people now in those low-risk buildings can technically leave to walk their dog, but most of them only can walk their dog in the hallway. So um, obviously still very onerous measures, not only in Shanghai, but all around Shanghai as well. Suzhou, which is a factory area that's quite close to Shanghai, said that it's now implementing mass testing for um, certain uh, districts. Also, um, there are some other cities, uh, Kunshan, as well as Taizang. And the reason why this is important is not only because there are a lot of U.S. companies that have facilities there, such as, for example, Mandala's has a Nabisco facility there, but also because this area has a lot of Apple suppliers. So already uh, companies such as Pegatron, for example, Compal, so making like the iPad, these companies are saying that they have had to uh, stop or at least suspend production uh, because of these strict controls. Frank? Yeah, Eunice, you were showing the numbers of population for some of those cities. Uh, Shanghai, 26 million people. It's just hard to imagine how big of a city that is when you come from America, where we're in the New York City area. It's the, our biggest city with about <laughs> 8 million. Um, the fact that they were able to lock down Shanghai, like just an accomplishment on its own, but the fact that a city that big is now easing lockdowns, could we see more easing of restrictions across China? Um, at this point, uh you know, it's really going to be, uh, I think, case by case. And in terms of an overall uh, lifting, probably not very fast because the way the government has been uh, just talking about about zero COVID and the policy that it has, it's become quite defensive. And so it wants to be able to impose what it thinks is a successful um, scientific um, policy. And in fact, it was critical yet again of the United States uh, saying that the U.S. State Department uh, shouldn't have made the decision that it's made to uh, warn American citizens of uh, what the United States has said of arbitrary uh, quarantines and detentions uh, because of these these uh, sudden lockdowns. And also um, the, the State Department has now ordered, as you were mentioning at, at the top, um, its uh, non-essential staff mm-hmm. to leave Shanghai. So uh, the Chinese government is getting really sensitive about how, the way that this is being portrayed overseas right. and, uh, and in this case uh, blaming the United States for um, – you know, what it thinks is a smearing of its image. Well, Eunice, you please stay safe there. Uh, you know, rising cases all around you. Our Eunice Yoon, Yoon, live in China. Thank you for the latest. Buying a lot of frozen goods and <laughs> instant noodles at this point. <laughs> whatever it takes, Eunice, yeah. whatever it takes. We appreciate the report. 
All right, still on deck here at Worldwide Exchange, President Biden taking new steps to try and combat sky-high gas prices. Details on the White House's new plans to address that pain that we are all feeling at the pump. Stay with us. Today's big number, 94 gigawatts. That's how much new wind power capacity was added in 2021, the second most on record according to the Global Wind Energy Council. New installations in China and the U.S. accounted for the majority of the added capacity. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Let's get a check on this morning's other headlines. NBC's Frances Rivera. She's in New York with the very latest. Good morning, Frances. Hi, Frank. Good morning. We start with the three former Minneapolis police officers charged with aiding and abetting the murder of George Floyd. They've rejected plea deals. The prosecutor did not disclose details of the offers, but said they were identical. The offers, the offers were made after a jury convicted the three in a separate trial in February on federal civil rights charges stemming from Floyd's death. Another round of wicked weather is moving across the south this morning. Numerous reports of hail pounding parts of Arkansas and Oklahoma. In some places, the hail reaching the size of golf balls. And multiple tornadoes have been spotted in Arkansas. There have been signs of significant damage in the northwestern part of the state. And she did it again. Britney Spears is expecting her third child and first with her partner, Sam Asghari. Spears took to social media, sharing that she realized her stomach was noticeably growing while on vacation in Maui. And Asghari joked she was just food pregnant. Turns out, months after she was released from that conservatorship that in part restricted her from having a child, she is pregnant again. Frank, what we don't know if it's a, oops, she did it again, or she did it again. Either way, she's got this whole reboot of her life after, a, you know, that conservatorship is, is in the past. So good for her to have something to look forward to again in her life. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Francis, I wanted to play along, but I don't know another Britney Spears song to try to throw in a pun. Are we even going to get started with this? There's toxic. There is, I mean, I'm a slave for you. Okay, you need to go in a deep, deep Google dive, Frank. I'm going to school you right now, but you got to spend some time doing homework on this. <laughs> Prince, I don't know if the word need applies here, but I, I might do it. Prince yes, Rivera, we appreciate need to. it. Right. <laughs> Still on deck here at Worldwide Exchange. Investors bracing for what's expected to be another record read on inflation. We preview that report and ask when price pressures may start to ease. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. And Worldwide Exchange, we'll be right back.
Stocks poised to continue their slide as renewed uncertainty helps kick the trading week off on a bit of a sour note. Futures are struggling to gain momentum. Investors also bracing for the latest read on inflation, with prices once again expected to surge to levels not seen since the early 80s. And Etsy facing a potential strike by sellers. And what could be a battle for the future of the stay-at-home favorite? It is Tuesday, April 12th. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland in for Brian Sullivan. It's right around 5.30 a.m. here on the East Coast. And here is how the markets and your money look right now. Futures, well, they've been kind of mixed to lower right now. The Nasdaq kind of straddling between negative and uh, just slightly in the positive. Right now, the Dow looks like it could open up just very slightly lower, uh, about 25 or so points, at least at this point. We have to continue to watching it. Um, the trading week starting off in the red, the Dow falling and the S&P both falling by 1.2 and 1.7 percent, respectively. We're also watching those rising bond yields once again hammering tech with the Nasdaq down more than 2 percent. Investors gearing up for that March CPI report expected to show the biggest spike since December of 1981. Much more on that in just a moment. Ahead of that report, let's get that check on the bond market. Right now, we're looking at the 10-year right at 2.8. Earlier this morning, it was at 2.82, its highest level since December of 2018. The five-year and the 30-year, well, the 30-year was ticking higher. The five-year also ticking higher earlier today. We also want to look at the price of oil rebounding after falling to the lowest level since February on those China lockdown fears. Looking at WTI right now. Just below $100 a barrel, up about 3% this morning. Brent crude, that's the international benchmark, just above $100 a barrel, also up 3%. Natural gas ticking higher as well. And we also want to highlight the continued collapse in chipmaker stocks. We're going to start off with shares of NVIDIA falling 16% over the last week and more than 30% off of its high. Other names in the sector really taking a beating. Marvell down nearly 11.5%. AMD down more than 9%. Lamb Research down 5.5%. And Applied Materials down nearly 4.5%. Something to watch. All right, now we're turning our attention to the latest on Ukraine. The U.S. and the U.K., they're working to verify unconfirmed reports of Russia using chemical weapons in the besieged port city of Maripol. NBC News' Raf Sanchez joins us now from Lviv with the very latest. Raf? Frank, good morning. These claims of chemical weapon use are coming from the Azov Battalion. They are the far-right Ukrainian militia that is leading the defense of Mariupol. They say late last night several of their soldiers were exposed to what they say was chemical weapons dropped from a Russian drone. Now, we should be clear, we have not independently verified that. And in just the last hour or so, the Ukrainian deputy defense minister saying on television here she is not able to verify that claim. She says initial information indicates this may have been phosphorus munitions. Now, phosphorus is a very, very nasty weapon. It drops burning white material over a large area, but it's not traditionally what we think of as chemical weapons. Now, the Pentagon says it is closely monitoring the situation, and the UK says it is urgently trying to verify what's going on here. The British Foreign Secretary says if it is indeed the case that the Russians have used chemical weapons, that would be a callous escalation and one that Moscow needs to pay a price for. Now, that is an easy thing to say. It is a more difficult thing to do. We remember President Obama drawing that figurative red line, telling the Syrian regime that if they used chemical weapons, it could trigger an American military response. That response did not happen. President Biden will be wary of drawing any red lines he's not going to enforce. Frank? 
So, Raf, the war is turning to the eastern part of Ukraine. What's the latest on the fighting there? So U.S. officials say every day they are seeing more Russian tanks, armor, artillery troops heading to the east for this expected confrontation in the Donbass. The British say over the next two to three weeks, we are likely to see a major escalation there. Now, the Ukrainians have sent some of their best troops to the region, but this is going to be a very different kind of fighting to what we've seen so far in this six-week war. We are likely to see something that looks more like the Second World War, pitched battles with formations of tanks and artillery going up against each other. That is a situation that may favor the Russians. Remember, in the east, they're fighting much closer to their own border. Their supply lines are much shorter. It's going to be much more difficult for the Ukrainians to try to mount those hit-and-run guerrilla attacks that they've been so successful with in the Kiev suburbs. So it is going to be a very difficult fight ahead for the Ukrainians in the east. And President Zelensky says they urgently need more weapons from the west to keep up the fight. Frank? All right, Raf Sanchez with the very latest from Ukraine. We appreciate that report. Now to this morning's other top stories are Bertha Coombs. She's back with those. Good morning again, Bertha. Hey, good morning, Frank. The Biden administration announcing new steps this morning to try and combat surging gas prices. The White House saying it will suspend a ban on summer sales of gasoline blended with 15 percent ethanol. The president is expected to speak on the matter when he travels to Iowa, which is this country's top producer of renewable fuel and the corn used to make it. The White House says the extra EPA will uh, that the EPA will take action to issue an emergency waiver on suspending the ban closer to June. Sellers on Etsy have begun a strike in protest over the site raising the fee it charges shop owners for transactions. The company boosting that fee from 5% to 6.5% Monday, first increase since uh, 2018. Etsy says the hike is critical to increasing investments in its marketing and seller support services. More than 20,000 sellers have signed a petition against that move. And employees at two more Starbucks have now voted to unionize. The Boston area shops mark the first of the chain's Massachusetts stores to make the move. The votes to join the Workers United Union was unanimous. Frank, of the 19 Starbucks stores that have voted to unionize, uh, 18 have done so. So looks like it's one of those moves. It's a time for labor, certainly. Yeah, certainly a, a broad labor movement going on around the country. Starbucks, Amazon, other companies. Our Bertha Kuhn with the headlines. Thank you. All right, well, inflation is expected to have surged in March as the war in Ukraine boosted U.S. gas prices to record highs. The Consumer Price Index is forecast to have jumped 1.1 percent last month. That will be the largest monthly increase since September of 2005. Year over year, the headline CPI is expected to shoot up to 8.4 percent. That will be the largest annual gain since December of 1981 when it rose 8.9 percent. And it may seal the deal for the Fed to hike rates by 50 basis points the next month. Let's get more insight on today's data with Michelle Girard, head of U.S. at NetWest Markets. Michelle, thanks for being here. Good morning. So let's begin, Michelle. Do you agree with those estimates that inflation could shoot up to 8.4% year over year? <laughs> Hard to get it out sometimes. 8.4% year over year. Would you ever think, Frank, that we would be talking about these kinds of numbers? Um, 
But we do. We, like others, have an outsized increase. We were looking for a gain of over 1% in the headline CPI. That's really driven by a surge in energy prices. They themselves could be up over 8% as a result of the invasion of Ukraine. We also expect food prices to be uh, up pretty sharply. So the the headline gain, obviously, is is, is going to be uh, the largest that we've seen since 2008. And then if you strip out, you know, those volatile food and energy components, even the, the numbers underlying um, are going to look firm. That core rate of inflation, excluding food and energy, we think will be up six and a half, you know, year over year up six and a half percent. So uh, so these are these are it's going to be a, another round, I think, of, of very unsettling numbers for uh, for the Fed, certainly. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned stripping out food and energy, two things that pretty much all of us need. We need to either heat our house or get in our car and drive. So uh, in this case, the core CPI just as relevant as the, the headline CPI, as you mentioned. Um, we're going to see these numbers come up. Inflation is going to rise. The Fed has plans to hike rates. Do you see any change to that plan, depending on what we see today? No, it's interesting also. You know, last week, the minutes from the Fed's last meeting really indicated a uh, a predisposition to move 50 basis points. They said 50 basis point increases, uh, one or more at, at future meetings was likely to be, or, or, you know, would be appropriate potentially to, to combat inflation, would be needed to combat inflation. And I think in, in the minds of, of most market participants, ourselves included, almost no matter what number you would have gotten today, it would certainly have, I think, that those words seem to seal the deal that the Fed was inclined to make a, a half a basis point move when they meet in uh, uh, in early May. Uh, and the question now, I think, is going forward. Will they continue to act that aggressively? And, and the market is pricing in uh, aggressive moves. The market now thinks the Fed is going to raise rates to above 3% before they're finished. So I have to ask you, uh, the Fed and many other experts have said a lot of this inflation is due to supply chain issues and also geopolitical uncertainty. How do rate hikes address two issues that are you know, kind of beyond the scope of the Fed's control? You're right, Frank. I mean, what we have right now is an imbalance between supply and demand. And there isn't much that the Fed can do to increase the supply of, of goods and services that have been disrupted by supply chain issues, the works, et cetera. But, but what rate hikes do do, of course, is to help to, to limit demand. And so by, by raising interest rates and moving policy away from a very accommodative stance, and the Fed is continuing with the low level of rates to propel economic activity, which only fuels the supply and demand uh, imbalance. And so the rate hikes are intended to move policy to a more appropriate position given the fact that just sitting with rates well below the neutral level at this point in the cycle with inflation where it is, it's just no longer appropriate. And inflation is just as damaging, if not more, uh, than, than higher interest rates. Well, President Biden addressing uh, gas prices later today. Food inflation is something that probably isn't spoken about enough. I mean, obviously, we all eat and we're looking at commodity prices spike up. Doesn't seem to be any end to what's going on in Russia anytime soon or an end to those sanctions. How do you see food price and food price inflation continuing the rest of this year? No, I think food price inflation is, is potentially even more persistent than than the energy price surge. I mean, we've seen that energy price surge will really dominate the, the March headline numbers. But food prices um, are, are, you know, have been firming. And, and while we think energy prices may come off a bit in terms of their pace of gain, I think food prices, you know, are going to be very persistent. In general, let me just say, uh, we've got expectations for inflation to remain 
very elevated. And, and, and that's really the concern. I mean, even though the year over year numbers will start to move lower, helped by some comparisons to you know higher levels a, a year ago, we still have the, the um, inflation rate uncomfortably high, over 6% at the end of this year on the headline. And if you strip out both food and energy, it's still over 4% at the end of this year, only even 3% at the end of next year. So this is what the Fed is is quite worried about, is this persistence of inflation all across the board. All right, Michelle Gerard, we appreciate the insight. CPI number coming out later today. Estimates for the highest inflation in 40 years. We're going to be watching that. Thank you for being here. All right, coming Thanks. up here on Worldwide Exchange, crypto facing renewed pressure as Bitcoin it briefly dips back below 40000 We dive into what's fueling the recent price action. But first, as we had to break, some of your other top stories this morning. Shares of Germany's biggest lenders, Deutsche Bank and Commerce Bank, plummeting this morning on reports that an undisclosed investor has sold large stakes in both. Amid those reports, both banks saying they remain confident in their strategy. Shares of the Dubai Water and Electricity Authority surging as the utility company officially began trading today. That debut marking the Middle East's largest IPO since Aramco. And airline executives are piling on the pressure to end the COVID mask mandates on planes. According to the Financial Times, the CEOs say that the rules, which are due to expire on Monday, are no longer aligned with the, aligned with the realities of the ongoing outbreak. Worldwide Exchange, back in a moment. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Shares of PC maker HP Inc. They've jumped more than 9% since Warren Buffett took a huge stake in the company, seen by many as a bet on continued strength in the PC market that saw its sales soar during the pandemic. Buffett becoming the largest shareholder in HPQ just days after the company announced a deal to acquire Poly, a headset maker for hybrid work, among other things. HPQ also giving a lot of optimistic guidance on PC margin where it gets three quarters of its revenue. However, new data from Gartner shows a Q1 decline in the PC market, but you've got to keep in mind the comps are very tough. The PC market coming off its best year in decades in 2021. Overall, PC shipments down 7% year over year. HPQ also losing market share, but still the number two company globally. Dell and Apple both gaining market share. A major factor is a slowdown in sales of Chromebooks. Those are PCs with that Chrome OS software. Lenovo, that remains the global market leader, but shares still in the red year to date, along with Dell. The U.S. saw the biggest decline in PC PC sales of any region, down 17 percent year over year. All right, on deck here on Worldwide Exchange, stocks seeking direction as investors await that key CPI report. Truist Advisory's Keith Lerner, he lays out why he says he's actually downgrading his outlook on stocks ahead of that data. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. And Worldwide Exchange will be right back. Worldwide Exchange, we're going to take a look at futures right now. Bit of a mixed picture right now. Been moving up and down a bit this morning. Right now, we're seeing the Dow's down uh, very slightly. The Nasdaq up very slightly right now. The S&P basically flat. 
Investors gearing up for that March CPI report expected to show the biggest spike since December of 1981. Economists forecasting a monthly jump of just over 1% and a year-over-year gain of nearly 8.5%, driven largely by higher food, energy, and rent costs, you know, the stuff that all of us need. Uh, ahead of that report, let's get a check on the bond market. The 10-year yield right now coming in at 2.083%. Up early, uh, earlier today, it was at 2.82%, highest level since December of 2018. Uh, earlier, the 30-year and the 5-year also ticking higher. Right now, we're seeing the 5-year still ticking higher. We also want to get a look at the price of oil rebounding after falling to the lowest level since February on China lockdown fears. Right now, taking a look at WTI, just under $100 a barrel, up almost 3% this morning. Brent crew, that's the international ben- benchmark, just above $100 a barrel, also up 3% this morning. We've always got to keep in mind on natural gas, also ticking higher. And crypto, especially Bitcoin, we're always watching that. Bitcoin falling below 40000 for the first time since mid-March on Monday. Right now, we're taking a look at it just over that 40000 mark, up fractionally right now. Uh, Ether up over a half a percent. Solana up over one percent. And now for more on the trading day ahead, let's bring in Keith Lerner, co-chief investment officer at Truist Advisory Services. Keith, thanks for being here. Hey, good morning, Frank. Great to be with you again. So let's just look ahead to that CPI number right now, if you don't mind. We just showed the estimates, um, estimates for almost eight and a half percent inflation year over or over the last year. How do you see that impacting the markets as we look ahead? You know, as far as today, Frank, I mean, everyone knows that we're going to have a high print. So I wouldn't be surprised if we actually rally off of that. But the bigger picture to us is that inflation remains a problem. And it's going to be a challenge for the Fed to tame inflation at the at the same time of not hurting the economy. So we think it's going to be somewhat of a challenge for them to stick a soft landing without breaking an ankle or two. (laughs) That's quite the metaphor right there. Uh, so, Keith, I, I want to talk about equities just for a minute. You've been very bullish on equities, even during the downturn. You've remained very bullish on them. But now you're kind of changing your opinion. And right now you're feeling a little bit more positive about fixed income right now. Now, is that just rising interest rates or are there other are there, are there other factors? That's right, Frank. We've been um, you know, big bulls the last two years. And we recently downgraded our view of equities uh, from attractive to neutral. And one of the main reasons for that is we've seen this sharp move in interest rates. The 10-year Treasury, as you mentioned earlier, is now at 2.8. That's over a percent higher than where we were just in on March the 1st. And as a result of that, something we call the equity risk premium, which is a fancy word of saying the comparative value of equities relative to fixed income, has dwindled to the lowest level since 2010. And when we've seen that historically and test that out, the stock's outperformance, which tends to be much higher, moves down to about 3% on a 12-month basis. So what we're saying now is even though um, you know we still think fixed income is somewhat underweight, we think there's more opportunity than before, and we think there's, there's some relative opportunity, and these yields are now productive again. So earlier this month, even before you came out with this call on equities overall, you actually downgraded, downgraded small caps. Um, it looks you know pretty pressing right now. The Russell coming off a five-day losing streak. During the pandemic, a lot of our guests called the small caps in general, but the Russell, uh, kind of the reopening index. And for the most part, the country's, you know, pretty much reopened. My hometown of Philly reinstating its indoor mask mandate. But overall, we're generally more open than we have been before. Why are small caps struggling? Yeah, well, we we were also um, you know bullish most of last year for small caps, but we did downgrade small caps more recently because of the economic cycle. I think as the Fed raises rates, as the economy starts to slow down somewhat, that will affect small caps. 
And the other thing we look at in our work, I mean, they are very cheap. So on a long-term basis, I still think they're attractive. But more tactically, we're seeing relative price trends weaking. And we're also showing the earnings momentum relative to large caps weaken as well. And that's led us to go ahead and, and downgrade our view. Again, small caps are very leveraged to the economic momentum. We don't think we're going into recession, but we do think we're going to have somewhat slower growth in the economy relative to what we saw over the last uh, year or two. All right. So no recession, but slower growth. Uh, you're, you're downgrading equities. Where are you overweight at? <laughs> well, you know, it's more, I think it comes down to more where there's opportunities within sectors. So we've been overweight energy over the last year. We still like energy, even though it's in a bit of a digestion phase here. And we've become more positive on some of the defensive areas of the market over the last few months. So areas such as consumer staples is, is an overweight. We still continue to like REITs, which has a, you know, a good dividend and also it has you know, some tech exposure and some reflation exposure as well. And some areas that are starting to look more interested, though we're not overweight yet, is things like healthcare and materials, which all are typically a bit more later cycle type of sectors. And how do you see inflation kind of playing out? I want to kind of circle back to that CPI report because everybody's kind of looking ahead to that. How do you see CPI playing out for the sectors that you are overweight in? I mean, don't inflate, doesn't inflation still impact energy and doesn't it still impact even those REITs you were talking about, whether they, they're for cell towers or whatever else? Yeah, no, that's that's right. But energy is more of a direct play on inflation, staying somewhat elevated and oil prices staying somewhat uh, supported as well. So we like energy. Um, as you think about places like uh, consumer staples, as an example, if you have a somewhat slower economy because the Fed's going to press high with higher rates, that should be a, a good sector in a more kind of choppy market that that we envision. And then with REITs, you know, it, it, there's some positive aspects as far as like the cell towers. Every year they raise prices based on inflation trends. So we think there's some offsets. And also there's a nice healthy yield in the, in the uh, REIT index as well. All right, Keith Erner, great stuff as always. You got to text me later and let me know if you got that workout in this morning. Appreciate you being here. Will do, Frank. Thanks so much. All right, before we wrap things up here on Worldwide Exchange, another check of this morning's top stories. The rate on a 30-year fixed mortgage has climbed to 5.25%. That's the highest level since August of 2009 and around two percentage points higher than just a year ago. According to Freddie Mac, mortgage rates have seen the fastest three-month rise since May of 1994. President Biden is reportedly eyeing former Treasury official Michael Barr for the top job at the Federal Reserve overseeing banks. According to Politico, Barr has emerged as the frontrunner for Fed vice chair for supervision after Biden's previous pick. Sarah Bloom Raskin pulled her nomination due to a lack of key support. Barr played a key uh, major role in crafting financial safeguards in the wake of the 2008 financial crisis and has been a longtime consumer advocate. And shares of Veru continue to surge in extended trading after announcing positive results from its phase three trial for its oral COVID treatment. The company is saying the drug led to a meaningful reduction in deaths and patients hospitalized with moderate to severe COVID who were at high risk for adult respiratory distress syndrome. Veru says it will meet with the FDA to seek emergency use authorization for that treatment. Note, this is a small cap company still below $1 billion in valuation. But it is much bigger than it was before this news yesterday. The stock soaring more than 180 percent in yesterday's regular session. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box coming up next. Thanks for watching.
You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.